0: Hello, I'm Bradley Hayes and I'm an FY2 doctor working in South East London and welcome to The Class of Corona, a podcast for fine-year medical students who are about to start working or have already started working in the NHS. We're now partnered with FDocs so check them out if you haven't already or get in contact with us at classofcorona2020 at gmail.com. So today we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to be looking forward uh, once you are settled into the rotation. And so today's episode is on getting the most out of your rotation. So let's get on with the podcast. So before we start, would you all mind introducing yourselves?
1: Hi, I'm Laura. I am an F3
2: doctor currently working in London. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm an FY doctor currently working on a respiratory ward in
3: London. Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm an FY three currently working in intensive care in London. So, guys, today we're going to be talking about
0: getting the most out of your rotations. And so, the first thing that I'm going to say here is, please only listen to this podcast once you feel like you've settled in and you're feeling comfortable with the day to days of your rotation. Um, And just from a personal perspective, I think it's way better to spend your first months or even longer if you need to, and just focusing on the job and don't worry about doing anything else apart from the day-to-day, what you need to do to kind of get out, get yourself out on time and do the job well. So you've had your first month, you're now settled in. What are the first things you're thinking about looking forward in the rotation? So
2: I think one thing that it's really good to be aware of and to just try and keep up to date with from as soon as you found your feet is your portfolio, which will build up and kind of be part of your ARCP so ARCP is just the meeting and the assessment of you throughout the year to say you can move from F1 to F2 and then again from F2 to specialty training and sort of moving through so it's a portfolio you have throughout the year much like your logbook at medical school with different things that you have to complete such as so many CBD so many mini kexes certain clinical skills that as an F1 you have to show that you're competent in you have to show that you've done teaching and It can seem like quite a lot of things and you have to do a certain number in each rotation. So just being aware of what you need to do from the start and trying to get on top of it early, getting people to sign you off for things, it will mean that it's a lot less stressful come March when you have to get signed off if you realise that you've missed lots of things. So being aware of that from the start is a really good way to just tick things off steadily and not let it be a big stress.
1: And actually, a lot of the time you might feel like you're asking senior colleagues to sign you off on skills or case-based discussions and things like that but actually the more time you spend in hospitals you'll realize that you'll have to do quite similar things for them as well um, all healthcare professionals have to go through kind of revalidation and get feedback about their practice and things like that and actually you'll be surprised how many times you will be sent an email from a senior colleague asking for feedback about them as part of um, one of their team members um, so don't feel bad about it because actually you will do the same for colleagues in the future um, one thing i'd say from an arcp point of view is um, Um, when you are are looking for a sign off, especially in the clinical skills, um, it really varies who can sign you off on those. So for some of the skills, it can be a nurse. For some of the skills, it has to be a registrar or above. Um, So don't think that all the things things that you need signing off on are a consultant or a registrar. Actually, there's quite a variety of people that can sign you off on skills, um, including some SHOs as well. So um, do check that out because um, it might make things a bit easier to find and get done.
0: So as part of your ARCP, you're going to have to attend a certain amount of teaching. Uh, What teaching can you attend
3: at hospital? So the hospital will have to provide you with um, a certain amount of F1 specific teaching, um, which is usually uh, one or two regular sessions a week. Um, The the expectation is unless you're um, specifically occupied doing something like being on call or off on leave, that you should be going to that and usually that will make up the vast majority of your teaching attendance for the year. But there's also quite a few other teaching opportunities that go on within most hospitals. Um, Firstly, departments will have usually their own teaching rota, and that will often be um, a rotation of uh, junior doctors of different grades giving a a weekly presentation on a topic. That may sometimes be a journal club, or it might be combined with a journal club. And it's be worth finding out when you start on your rotation whether that is happening and whether you'll be expected to do some teaching. Um, Because sometimes if if it slips between the cracks and you're not told about it, those sessions can creep up on you. And there's nothing worse than trying to prepare a uh, a half an hour teaching session the night before because you didn't know about it. Other sessions you can go to is often there's x-ray meetings or trauma meetings.
2: Another really good teaching is something called Grand Rounds, which as medical students, I'm sure lots of you will have heard of, but they open to staff as well. The consultants often go to these, they have to attend a certain amount of teaching. It's a great place to get a free lunch and also they're interesting cases and it's sort of a teaching outside of your area of medicine that you're in. And it, it's aimed at the whole hospital. So you can often pick up some really interesting points that otherwise you might not come across. And it's good to show your consultants and things like that that you do want to learn and that you're keen to be
0: involved in teaching. I think also if you have the opportunity, putting yourself forward to present at some of these things is quite a good, quite an easy way of presenting. And building up a portfolio of times that you've presented is a really good and quite an easy thing to do.
2: Yeah. And I think don't be afraid to present to consultants or to give teaching sessions to departmental teaching sessions or journal club sessions to consultants and registrars. There's a, there can often be a worry and I know that I definitely felt like I didn't want to teach them something that they were a specialist in or them to feel like you were teaching them something they already knew that everybody knows that you have to do teaching to get signed off and that it's something that you have to learn and that it's a really valuable skill and actually people are always very encouraging with teaching and can give you good feedback and tips so don't be afraid about giving teaching sessions to seniors and to consultants within your department or within hospital at Grand Grounds.
1: And actually, sometimes um, if you get the opportunity to do a teaching session, whether that's in the form of a case presentation to your department or that is to medical students, whatever the situation is, do make sure you get feedback um, about that session in one way or another. Lots of people have different preferences about how they give feedback. Some people like to give people a form at the end of the session that they fill out and you collect them in straight away. So very kind of instant feedback. Um, Other people prefer to send links out to things like SurveyMonkey a couple of days later once their students, I guess, have had, or their audience have had time to reflect and think about the teaching session. Whatever your preferred method, I think it's a really useful thing is to get feedback, um, not only for you in terms of developing yourself as a clinical teacher, um, but that also um, you've then got a piece of evidence that you did do a teaching session and you can use that later on in your portfolio to demonstrate that you did a teaching session and you got some feedback.
3: i found the only way to get feedback is to literally stand in the room while people do it. Or, you know, have it on the door on the way out. Yeah. I think that's a really good bit of advice there.
1: I think if you're wondering about who would be a good person to teach or approach, if you've got a good idea, um, Farnier medics are often a really good one to, um, to go for. Um, obviously, if you've got a particular interest in a specialty, say, and you want to target, for example, fourth years, who are currently on an and gyny rotation, absolutely go for it. But um, on the whole, um, Farnier medical students tend to be really keen for any teaching opportunity, particularly from people that they feel they're akin to, such as F1s.
0: And I think I've said it before, but never underestimate the amount that you know and the amount that you've picked up, even if you've only been working for a month. It's it just the amount that you've been in hospital in the first month of working is probably more than you've been in throughout the whole of medical school. I know that is true for me, <laughs> not for all medical students. Um, so yeah, so yeah, just never underestimate your, the amount that you know.
1: And one other, one other form of teaching that I don't think we've, Mentioned is the opportunity to do sim in f1 and f2 um i think in medical school lots of people are quite frightened by sim they get quite nervous about having to kind of do an a to e assessment of a patient um in front of other people they feel they're under pressure that they've got an audience and they get it wrong it's a disaster sim's an awesome way to learn clinical medicine and it's a great way to practice um virtual scenarios and make mistakes and learn from them so then in the real situation you don't make that mistake um, and actually if your trust does offer uh, the opportunity to do sim I would highly recommend it um, and if you're really interested and there are often lots of opportunities to actually get involved with designing the sim um, whether it's you as an actor in the sim whether you're part of the team that designs the scenarios but it's a really interesting modern and exciting way to learn clinical medicine and I think if your trust offers it or if you're willing to try and set it up in your trust, it's a really cool avenue to get involved with.
3: If, um, if you do like SIM and you do feel that it's something you want to develop more, there are courses that you can go on, um, like Teach SIM courses that are different levels, um, that give you a, a sort of formal, uh, not qualification, but sort of some formal teaching and something to put on your CV to say that you're interested in learning about SIM. So, I'm gonna describe a situation we've all been in. It's Friday.
0: Your reg comes in and says, we've got M&M on Monday. What is M&M? I hadn't heard of it before. And how can you prepare to present it?
2: So M&M is the morbidity and mortality meeting. And it's every department should have one once a month. And it's where you get together as a team and you go through all of the patients who have died um, to see if there's any learning points that you can have from them. So on surgery, any patients who died in theatre or died quite quickly post-op you go through all of the cases to see if there's anything that as a team you can learn or could have done better and you also look at any of the kind of the complications or serious ill effects that have happened for example from surgery or patients who've had falls on the ward if it's a geriatric ward or have broken legs or things like that while in hospital it can seem quite intimidating as it's all of the consultants together and it's people looking for mistakes and people looking for things to gone wrong but actually it's the juniors who are often presenting the cases, have done all the groundwork, knew the patients and know all of the details. And so it's your responsibility often as a junior to put all of that information together into a presentation, present it, and then the, the team will discuss it. So what I'd
1: always recommend is after you've written the presentation even if it's just before the meeting and the are going to park hour for the meeting um, but ideally more if you, if you have the time is get the presentation looked over by a senior colleague before you present it and um, just to avoid any um, awkward
0: scenarios in the presentation. I think especially when I first started it felt like if anything went wrong and needed to be presented in, in an m M&M, m that it was kind of your fault possibly and I think I know other juniors who felt like that um, but that's not the purpose of the m M&M, m to assign personal blame. And the vast majority of the time, they're not looking to do anything like that. It's more of a learning experience. So, you know, next time, what can we do better? Please never take it personally that something went wrong or that because you're the one presenting, that it's your fault that something went wrong. Because it, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of the time, it completely isn't.
2: Yeah, and I think a really useful thing, which has saved me quite a lot of time that I've learned in the last year and a half is when patients die on the ward you you have to write a discharge summary for them anyway and so just taking an extra five ten minutes to put down a couple of extra details onto a word document and saving it on a shared drive for those patients so that if they need to be discussed at an M&M meeting you've already got a lot of the information there for you to go back to and refresh your memory rather than having to trawl back through all the notes and Actually, a lot of departments will have a form that they want you to fill in and send to the consultants as you go along. So just keeping track of people that might have passed away on your ward and keeping some of those details down in a secure location can save you a lot of time later on, especially on jobs like surgery, where actually there won't be that many patients. And so you've got to get a bit more detail.
0: Great. Um, Another quite big area that juniors tend to get involved in is with audit and QIP. Uh, you'll have to do one quality improvement project um, as part of your ARCP but how do you guys get
3: involved with audit and QIP projects? I'd split it into two main categories, you've got kind of um, hospital-wide audit and QIP, um, so stuff like national audits, VTE audits, I know Brad you were involved in one before, Um, antibiotic prescribing audits, often a organized by a specific kind of audit auditing and quality improvement department but then individual departments and individual wards will have their own audits and they'll be often a bit more bespoke to the patient um, if you can find an audit that is vaguely something you care about it's going to be a lot easier for you to 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 do it and to do it well um that however if you can find an off-the-shelf audit i.e one that's already sort of organized by the hospital and just needs a Reaudit or collection of data—it's often a lot quicker. So it depends exactly what you want to get out of it. I'd say if you want something kind of quick and easy, just to tick the box, which is you know fair enough if you're busy otherwise and you're, you're involved in other things. Um, sometimes the hospital-wide audit are the easiest ones to do. However, if you're looking for something to to make a bit more of a difference or to something that you want to design yourself, often speaking to the department leads or the, the matron of the ward is the best best go
1: um if you are keen to get involved with an audit um i'd flag it early on in the department you'll find that in whatever team or department that you're in there's always someone there who loves audit and loves qip and loves projects and it's just a case of finding out who that person is and going to them and saying I'm keen to get involved with QIP, is there any way I can help you? If you're not fussed, then obviously you can be quite open about what you're willing to, willing to help with and just get crack on with whatever projects that they're currently working on or that they allocate you. Um, however, if you've actually, if you're feeling a bit creative, if you've got, if you want to do your own audit or develop your own idea, um, one piece of advice that we were once given during, I think some F2 teaching, was a really good way to decide what to audit is to think about in your day-to-day practice as a doctor, what bugs you the most on your job? Is there something that really annoys you in the system? Or is there something that really annoys you in terms of like, efficiency on the ward? Um, and is that something that you could try and improve at, through a quality improvement project? Um, and actually, that was a
2: really good tip. So that could be something just to bear in mind. Yeah, and I think one really sort of an easy way into doing audits and QIPs and things like that is lots of people going forward will have done audits before you. And there'll be people out there who are looking for somebody to close the loop on their audit or to do it a second time to run it again and that'll be the doctors that are moving on or about to rotate or people who are helping to induct you so talking to them about if they've got any projects that they need someone to help collect data or if they need someone to close the loop for them then that's a really good way to kind of get yourself into the mindset of doing audits.
0: So how about getting to theatres when you're on surgery and clinics when you're on medicine?
2: So I think there's always opportunities to go to theatre if you're on a surgical job, and even if you're not on a surgical job, or to try and go to clinics. I think the most important thing is talk talk to your team, talk to your SHOs, talk to the other F1s, talk to the Regis about who wants to go, what opportunities they are, and try and work out a bit of a system and a rotor between you. There'll be some people who have no interest in stepping foot inside a theatre who would much rather stay on the ward, and there'll be some people who would love to be in theatre every day. So it's just about making sure that you're balancing out what everybody wants and that you're not leaving one person on the ward to do all of the ward jobs and look after all the review, all the sick patients and look after everyone while you go to theatre every day. So there is opportunity. I think you just have to be a bit careful about it and make sure that you're doing it fairly and communicating with everyone and not just disappearing off the afternoon.
0: And it's another thing where, you know, compared to when you're a medical student, because you know, the regs, you know, the consultants, they're more likely to get you involved, get you doing stuff. Um, so I found that to be really useful so far for me and what do you guys think about um, doing sort of MRCP, MRC, MRCS, all those other other exams?
1: So I had no idea what I wanted to do be it medicine, GP, Psych, psych, I had absolutely no idea where my career was taking me so the idea of doing an exam completely filled me with horror um, and I had no idea which exam I would be doing so only do them if you're fairly sure it's going to be useful to you in some way Um, Whether it be useful on your future application for a certain career path, whether you know you're definitely going to do medicine, therefore it's good to do MRCP. um, But definitely have a really good think about um, doing any of these exams because they're a lot of hard work. They cost a lot of money um, and they are pretty tricky. So it's good to do them early, but only if you're sure they're going to be helpful to you
3: probably going to give a slightly different opinion if you know what you want to do and you've got the time and the inclination i think i agree it's good to get the exams out of the way um but at the same time i don't think you need to feel pressure to do them i think sometimes it can feel like everyone is doing their exams and it feels like if you're not you're sort of going to be the, the the odd one out but I think as far as I'm aware most people get to the end of their foundation training without a membership exam under their belt and I think that's that's fine if you're if you're struggling with time if you're struggling with other commitments like teaching like um you know an audit that's a lot more work than that with with general sort of coping with the, the job with with home life um it is a big time commitment it is a lot of reading, a lot of effort, a lot of past questions, and it's not something that I'd go into for the sake of it or just because, you know, you feel like you should. You you do meet people and often you will will be that person yourself where you're trying to do everything and you're trying to, you know, um, get your PhD at the same time as trying to run a medical school and, you know, and you're still learning the job. And it can be overwhelming. You can end up just burning out and not doing anything properly. You know, do the things that you have to do to pass the the year to to get your ARCP. If there are things that you're interested in that you enjoy, you know, do those with a bit, take a bit more time. But just be really careful about trying to do it all just because you feel like you should. Um, You know, getting to the end of F1 is primarily about learning to be a a safe, competent doctor. And if if that's all you get by the end of the year, I think that's plenty.
0: So the last thing I want to talk about today is about locuming. I know I felt at the start that you see these locum shifts come up and you feel quite a lot of pressure to get involved and start doing extra shifts.
2: So, I think my advice would be you have to really think about how much money your free time is worth. And it's something that I've definitely learned is that actually having a whole weekend off was worth a lot more to me than the money I could earn on a locum shift. And if you've had a really busy week and if you're starting a new job and you're adjusting, Even two days off doesn't feel like enough and Monday rolls around very quickly. And so I think, especially in the first few months, I would definitely recommend just finding your feet and, you know, really appreciating the value of spare time, even if at the moment that does mean not leaving your house for two days.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with Rachel more. I think you're, you're learning so much in those first few months and you will be worn out because you're not used to working full time and you're not used to working shift patterns, say, and you're just having quite emotionally <laughs> exhausting days all day. You will be tired. Um, so don't, unless you absolutely have to, I wouldn't push yourself to do um, extra locum shifts.
3: I definitely felt as an F1, when locum shifts were going up um, within my department, I felt almost a sort of moral... Uh, push to do them because I felt like I'd be letting my colleagues down if I let those shifts go unfilled you know I don't think that's that's completely unfair but ultimately it is the department's responsibility to fill those shifts and if you don't you know they should make efforts to find other people that do and over time I sort of stepped back and as as you guys were just saying you know um, weighed up whether I how much I valued my free time and how much I needed it at that point in time
0: I I think before I started the idea of being able to earn x amount for a for a day's work was was huge but actually once you start and you've worked a whole week the idea of going back in actually like Rachel said your free time's worth a lot and you you get a lot out of life when you when you're having time off
1: you do start um, comparing what you can get for one hour's work or two hours' work and whether, therefore, it's worth it or not.
2: Is your Nando's <laughs> worth those four cannulas and a new drug chart? And the answer <laughs> is usually no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's definitely, that was definitely my motivation <laughs> for Logan work. <laughs> How many Nando's will this one shift get
0: me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. So, so that's everything that I want to talk about today. Let's finish with a top tips. My top tips would be what I said right at the start, which is please just let yourself settle into the job and really feel comfortable with the job before you start thinking forward to jobs, applications, what you're going to do as a consultant, blah, 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 blah.
2: I think my top tip would be, as Brad said, get your feet on the ground. And if you want to get on top of something, just start chipping away at your portfolio and your ARCP early so that it doesn't build up. And you'd be surprised at actually... How much things just fall into place.
1: My top tip would be don't feel pressured by colleagues or fellow F1s around you who are getting exams done or going to a million and one courses or on their fifth publication of F1 already and um, don't feel pressured to be in the same boat or to be keeping up with them. Everyone's different and everyone does F1 and F2 at a different pace um, and the most important thing is like Rachel and Brad just said, is to establish it yourself as a good safe competent f one who loves their job um and can easily progress to f two without any complications
3: yeah, and my top tip is um being a doctor is amazing. you have access to so many opportunities that we you know things we've been talking about, things outside of that you know there's so much that you can do, and there's so many doors that have been unlocked because of this position that you have. Um, do the things that you enjoy you know the things that spark joy um, pursue those interests and build on them and don't feel pressured to do everything just for the sake of it
0: that was beautiful andrew <laughs> so what what a message to finish on joy joy <laughs> the
1: spirit
0: and with that thank you for listening